Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed, where we speak with all kinds of entrepreneurs doing amazing things in business and beyond. Support for E2 is brought to listeners in part today by Iristel, offering better Canadian telecom solutions. With Iristel Business Solutions, companies can streamline communications to reduce complexity and give employees better resources. Visit iristel.com slash solutions for more info. That's I-R-I-S-T-E-L dot com slash solutions for more. And the Entrepreneurs Organization and a local chapter in Toronto, Canada. Are you a founder of a growing business? EO is the catalyst that enables entrepreneurs to learn and grow from each other. EO members are provided with a continuous cycle of peer-to-peer networking opportunities, monthly forward meetings, and world-class learning events. For more information on joining EO, visit eotoronto.ca and click apply. So today is my chat with John Voigt, the CEO and co-founder of Agility CMS, a cutting-edge cloud-based content management system bringing flexibility and ease to the world of website development and management. Sorry, guys. John is also the host of the Agile Living Podcast, a show devoted to being more flexible, adaptable, and ready for change. You can check that out on iTunes and Google Play or wherever you consume your podcasts. Later in the episode, we talk about his new podcast, of course, but we spend most of the time discussing his incredible up and down 16-year-old journey as a software entrepreneur who's faced all kinds of challenges related to rapid growth, business partnerships, and personal health. So I hope you appreciate John's openness in this one as much as I did. So without delay, let's get to it. Here is John Voigt. When did the idea to build a, an actual CMS, a content management system, emerge? Yeah, so we didn't uh, think about even building a CMS until, I think, 2003. We started in 2002. We were called Identity Web Systems back then. Um, and we moved into an office with uh, a friend of mine who owned a marketing communication company. And uh, we started building websites for her and her, her customers and Really, they just kept coming to us. We were developers at the time. It was just the two of us that kept coming to us and saying, please update content, update content. And we were like, this is crazy. We want to develop. We want to do innovative stuff. And so we started to build an administrative portal. And around that time, web services were coming out and communication between platforms. And we built in a very unique architecture that was actually cloud. It was a cloud platform in our own private cloud at that time. Um, and so we kind of uh, started the... The, the framework, the initial build at that point. What was the initial 
billing model? Like, were you guys just doing work on demand, sort of like a classic agency? Yeah, yeah. So, so it was custom web development. So that was the work on demand. And the for the first year, I think, um, when we had the product, it was just we just gave it to customers. It was kind of like, you know, this is what you get with it. And then in 2004, we called the product Web Connect and it was actually a subscription model. It was, you know, you pay um, on a monthly basis and uh, it was a very small amount at that time because it was a very simple administrative portal just to kind of log in and manage your rich text on a page or lists of content. Different time, right? Was SaaS, was that SaaS model typical back then? Not at all. Uh, as, as, um, as you probably know, a lot of businesses are only really moving to SaaS now. And, uh, you know, even being in the cloud is hosted for you as a separate kind of application. You know, obviously people ho- get someone to host their website. So it was kind of like we just hosted an administrative portal, but they didn't realize it was a multi-tenanted single application that was kind of managing everybody's thing Um uh, everybody's website together. And so when we rolled out updates, all of our clients would get those updates. And uh, we really got the benefits of SaaS and bringing that value to our customers early on. And I think that's why we kind of built up so quick. In 2009, we we scaled out to Q9 Networks and really built uh, our own private cloud and really, really started adding new features and expanding the product pretty fast because you know we'd add it for one customer and the other customer would get it. And they'd be like, oh, this is awesome. I want to expand what I'm doing with you guys. And it just kind of scaled from there. Um, yeah, I mean, Makes sense. 2009 uh, was probably a a big turning point for you guys. So uh, sticking on the early days when SaaS was sort of unique, Mm -hmm. what was the inspiration for you guys switching to that model? Like, were you looking at guys like Salesforce or what Oracle was doing or anybody like that? It was kind of we had we had this concept of what we actually called back then called Data Connect, which was, you know, this system where you'd have different systems in the cloud or in hosting environments, and they'd all be communicating with each other and sharing data. And it was that kind of web services architecture, which is just allows you to develop on it really quickly because you can just you can pull data or you can you know push data. And this whole concept was just something that we felt was going to be huge in terms of pushing content around and helping customers connect. And we just said at that point we wanted to build an architecture that was super flexible. It would work for any type of website. It would work for other types of systems where we could share data. And it was more just a passion for kind of this lower technology that was kind of newer in terms of web services and communication mm-hmm. and to make it an open protocol. So it was more a nerdy reason than it was a business reason at the time, to be honest. <laughs> and um, it really paid off because, you know, everybody wants to pull and consume data. And and we kind of had that architecture from the from the get go. Interesting. OK, so in 2006, big year for you guys, you win a profit or hot 50 award. Does this prompt like an influx of new business or was it just kind of like a nice trophy to have in the office? Yeah, yeah. We won it two years in a row, actually, the Profit Hot 50. And um, uh, 2006 was kind of the second year and and we became a gold partner with Microsoft and and we rebranded the product as Agility. So it it was a huge year. Um, It, I would say, you know, winning the awards and, and the gold certification, I wouldn't attribute our success to that, but we got some momentum with some uh, you know, I don't want to say thought leaders, but they were respected people in the in the web world and they had moved from business to business and and brought us along. And it kind of started a snowball effect going into 2007, 2008, 2009, where we started signing on some really big names um, and got some uh, recognition in the agency world in terms of supporting them, in terms of being their development partner. So we had the product, but we also had a development shop, kind of a mini implementation team. 
And so we were helping a lot of agencies and, you know, when they come to us and say, build this, we're like, oh, well, we have this platform to build it on. So it was just a natural flow. So definitely in the early days, our professional services massively helped the adoption of our product. And then as we brought on Chorus Entertainment and Cinefax Entertainment and, you know, all these media companies and then uh, got in some agencies, we were bringing in some big names, which then obviously helps you kind of win new solutions and and buy over other customers that, you know, don't know who you are necessarily, but then see you with other big names. Are the agencies the sales force at this point? Like, are you using them to bring in business or are you circumventing them to try and go direct or a combination of both? Like what was going on? Yeah, it it was a hybrid for sure. I would say a lot of the bigger names were coming through agencies, um, which was great because we had, we didn't have the relationship, so we couldn't get in there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Chorus Entertainment, Cineplex, Scotiabank, all those came in a short period. And it was actually the same person who got us into one who got us into all the others. So some of the big names we got were referrals and connections with people we knew. But there wasn't much, you know, cold kind of wins. We didn't we weren't doing cold calling. They weren't random people finding this. A lot of the things were just referrals, relationships or our partnerships through agencies. Let's talk about 2009. Um, Big pivot into the cloud, correct? Yeah. What what were you guys doing as a business in terms of selling? So we were when we moved into Q9, that was really our, our private cloud. So that was all the way back in. 2005. But, you know, we didn't promote it as we were in the cloud because the term just wasn't used. So we were we promoted it as, you know, your fully managed solution. So, you know, you come to us and you want a website or you want some type of digital solution. You know, we manage it. We host it. You know, you have the CMS to manage everything with. Um, It's kind of taking care of you. And I don't think our sales kind of strategy changed much there. It was the same kind of really funneling and targeting agencies and really getting out there and, and working with existing customers. We probably started to do a bit more marketing and a bit more kind of press release, kind of outreach type things uh, around that point because we actually had some bigger names on the platform. So we were using those as traction, but we didn't really change our selling methodology that much until much later, which we'll probably talk about when we got into like 2012 timeframe. In 2009, do people understand, like, do your target customers understand why content management is so important or was there a big educational component to it? Yeah, yeah. Great question. So people definitely understood content management in 2009. Um, there were still a number of pitches we go to and someone else we were competing against would be like building a custom solution. Um, but those were were very, very slim uh, at that point. The real interesting thing at that point was, you know, this whole concept of, hosting in hosting outside of your own office. So, you know, and, and whether you, it was called cloud or not at that point, it was a disconnect for IT companies um, or IT teams in, in companies to let go of that website hosting in their office. Yep. And so we were fighting with that. We were fighting with the whole concept um, of, you know, moving stuff into the cloud, even though they weren't calling it cloud necessarily, but it was like we were, saying, oh, you know, don't worry, you'll have the same security, you'll have better security because we can monitor it. Um, you'll still be able to integrate because we'll allow that those kind of capabilities. But some companies just would not do that. They say, no, it has to be hosted in our environment. It's our IT policy. And, um, you know, I would even say, you know, two or three years ago, we were still bumping into that sometimes. It's pretty crazy, you know. So, you know, it's just that mindset of certain people locked into that. I want the control. I want it in my environment. 
Um, and with some systems where you have to do big integrations and you got to tie in with other databases, you know, there is some security in that and some other things. But uh, nowadays, you know, most of those things have all been resolved. Got it. So, okay. So the business is, you know, seven, eight years old. You've got traction. Uh, you're growing. You founded the business with a co-founder, uh, your business partner back in 2002. Can you just talk a little bit about what the trajectory was for the business, um, how you guys were aligned, if you were aligned uh, as partners? Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, when we first started the business, we had a lot of aspirations and a lot of things we were really excited about. And we had a lot of alignment of kind of where we wanted to go. Um, and all through those years of bringing in the big clients, you know, we were bringing our big clients, we were growing, um, things were, were going really well. And in 2010, uh, we kind of agreed, you know, let's hunker down and really focus on the CMS. We really have something here. We have big names on it. And we launched the the version three of that product, which was a, a huge jump forward and rebranded the entire company as Agility. So this is where we're, we're saying, okay, we're aligned. We're hunkering down. Let's get really focused on it. And um, once we kind of rebranded as the, the Agility product, that's where, you know, we started running some difficulties because, you know, instead of running a services to company that kind of had this sub product, we were running a product company that has this subdivision of services. Mm. And uh, we ran into all sorts of problems in terms of, you know, strategically, what do we focus on? Are we trying to make this initial sale? Are we trying to expand the product? And the product was not at the point where it could really sustain itself financially yet. So we were pulling money between the divisions. And, you know, things got a little bit more intense in terms of, you know, if we make the wrong decision, how is that going to affect us? So uh, I would say we were really aligned on wanting to make it a product company and going that direction. Um, we weren't fully aligned on how we were going to do that. And, and, you know, do we keep the services? Do we not? And I don't remember the exact year, but there was one year, I think it was 2011, um, we made the decision to get rid of services. Um, and so we we got that out of the company and uh, gave that to our partners. And it put a lot of pressure on us as a company because it was funding our product. And so we you sold, uh, needed, you sold this division off. We didn't sell it. What we did is we had partners already like agencies and development shops we were working with that were mm -hmm. building on the product. And we, we financially gave those customers over to those partners. Mm. Um, so we gave them away. And in hindsight, we'll probably talk about that in a little bit. You know, we should have made it a sub subdivision and sold it as its own entity. We didn't have investment and the product couldn't sustain itself just by itself. So, um, you know, there was a lot more pressure on, on Mike and I um, to figure out what we were doing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At the time, uh, in retrospect, was the idea to simply remove this distraction so that you could double down on product? What were the other benefits of just getting this off your plate? Yeah, 100%. So we really saw the value in the recurring revenue. We really saw the value in the product. And uh, what we really want to do is focus 100% on the product because what would happen is we'd sell a solution and we'd, we'd build a solution for a customer, a website, or some other application on top of agility but you know when it comes to launch time or whatnot there'd be all this pressure to get it done and we'd have to take product developers off the product and put them on 
the solution. And it was just, you know, it, it was slowing the, the development of the product. Um, the problem is once we, and we'd, we'd built up some money and, and some some equity there to be able to invest back in the product. The, pr- the problem was we got rid of that division and then had the product, um, but we didn't really have a flushed out way to, to scale the product quicker. We thought, oh, it's just going to scale really fast and cover its costs pretty soon. Um, so we'll be able to do it. Um, but that whole time took much longer than we thought, and it kind of chewed up that budget. So it put us in a much tighter position of, you know, how do we how do we fund this? Um, and, um, you know, we had thought about getting funding and, and raising money, and we bounced back and forth on that. And neither one of us could agree. So we kind of didn't, you know, at one point, I would want to get inv- investment. The other point, Mike would want to get investment. And we, we kind of bounced back and forth on that stuff. And and uh, never really aligned that, okay, let's go out and get investment for the product. So ultimately, uh, when do things start to get real challenging for you guys? Yeah, so I would say in 2011, uh, 2012, we we built a kind of subversion of the product called the, the magazine suite or the publishing package, um, depending on exactly what time. And this was a version of the product that was geared towards publishers uh, and and like online magazines. And uh, we actually got quite a bit of traction with this product. And um, it was, you know, it was a great product in many ways. And and Mike was spearheading the marketing sales, which, you know, I, I think, you know, it was some of the best work we've ever done in terms of marketing and, and selling and getting out there. The, the problem was it was a very difficult industry because we were competing against smaller CMSs like WordPress and platforms that could be spun up for free. The, the industry as a whole was going through a whole transformation of you know, losing revenue on the, the print side and moving to a digital side. So they needed a lot of handholding and, you know, they really didn't want to spend a lot of money on digital because they weren't getting the advertising dollars back. And so in hindsight, you know, Mike and I have talked about this many times, you know, it was it was kind of the wrong industry for us to chase. Um, and our product itself was overkill for it. So our product's really flexible, really good with integrations, really good with media sites and heavier things, but with these magazine suites and and sites, you know, they just need publishing, you know, which is, you know, fairly straightforward for a CMS. And so, you know, WordPress and these other platforms were really geared better for them. So, you know, we did a twist there and tried this kind of sub product and it really was the, the, the product was overkill and it wasn't the right fit. So, you know, we had about a year and a half, maybe two years there where Mike and I were butting heads about, you know, that decision and the direction we were going to take it and what we want to do. And, uh, and it really, got to a point where we both were like, just, this isn't working. We need to change something. I was ready to move on. I'll be honest. Um, I, I realized, you know, Mike and I started this long time ago and I was willing to step back and let him take it. Um, and for about eight months in 2013, we were in these discussions about what we're going to do with the business. And it kind of just kept on going in circles of what we wanted to do. What were the options? So, okay. There's the two you mentioned, right? You buy Mike out or he buys you out. Uh, yep. You can come to some sort of alignment and move forward together. You can come to alignment on the idea of raising outside VC money or whatever yep. to get you to the next, to provide a bridge, get you to the next phase or whatever. Like what else were you exploring? Yeah. You know, those are the main ones we were exploring. You know, the, the other thing is shutting the whole thing down, which, hmm. you know, obviously we said once to each other, but we were like, this doesn't make any sense. We have huge customers. The product is a viable solution. Um, it's a great solution. You know, it, it, it just would not have made sense. Um, but obviously it, it's always an option um, for any business. Um, and, and we kind of bounced all these different options around and, and really the, the, it, it was the three main ones was, 
I'll, I'll buy Mike out. Mike will buy me out. Um, or we'll try to sell it to someone. Really, those were the three real main ones. Because because getting investment didn't really make sense at that point. Because it was Mike and I that couldn't agree on which direction we wanted to take it. You ultimately make the decision to buy your partner out, buy Mike out. What yep. happens next? I don't know about Mike, but I'm I'm pretty proud about how we managed it together. Because you know we were in some tense times, and I I made an offer to Mike, and we kind of talked about it for a couple of days, and and within a day or two, we kind of said, okay, let's let's go in that route. It, you know, within three weeks, we had it legally done, signed, and uh, Mike was free after three weeks. So crazy, crazy, uh, you know, turnaround, and and he still stayed on as a shareholder partially. For a couple years and just to as the payout happened and and how it worked out so he got some rewards if the company did well or or you know he would get hit a little bit if the company didn't do so well so i think we came up with a really good solution that that worked for both of us and he was able to go start some other work and i won't get into that but he was able to go start some other things and and we've talked about you know where he's at now and he's doing some awesome stuff i just talked to him the other day he's down at a trade show in vegas right now and and it's really interesting to see how how we both moved forward from that. And that was five years ago now, which is crazy. Okay, so 2014, brand new vision uh, under your stewardship, uh, new site, new reframing of the product. You're now a single central hub platform. You've since added other layers of the business, e-commerce, ticketing, uh, point of sale tools to your offering. What was or what has been, I should say, the trajectory since 2014? I'd say 2014 was kind of a stabilization year. And then 2015, 2016, we had some really good growth and some really big features and things we added in. And going into 2017, uh, we hit a bit of a wall, actually. 2017 was tough. So so all the way up to 2016, you know, flying colors, growing, expanding, new customers, all sorts of great things. Mm-hmm. 2017 comes and we have both the professional services division and the product division. Really, they grew at such an alarming rate the years before that uh, they kind of hit a wall. And uh, we had a really hard year that year, probably one of the hardest years um, for me personally. And I realized that year that those two divisions weren't going to work together going forward. These challenges, they fall squarely on your shoulders now, right? Like Mike is out of the picture. You're the captain of the ship. Like, what does this do to you personally? It was a lot of pressure on me. And, uh, you know, without a business partner, it was the first time I, I was in a situation where the pressure was so great and it was all directed at me. And, um, you know, it, it hit me hard. I, I uh, ended up in the hospital for a week. I had uh, myocarditis, which is an infection of the heart. And wow. it's not even necessarily known what, what causes it. But yeah, it was an eye opener. I'm not going to say it was the stress, but I will tell you straight out, the stress is definitely a, a factor in all these things. Um, stress is kind of, I like to call it the silent killer. And it made me realize that I needed to step back and kind of look at my life a little bit and look at my business and what we're trying to do and and build something that's a little bit more stable and, and um, long lasting. Let's shift gears and talk a little bit. I know we've only got uh, 10 minutes left or so. Um, let's talk about the agile universe. You're yeah. a big proponent of it. Um, you're building a community of agile thinkers, people who realize the world is changing very fast, where one's biggest strength or so-called skill is the ability to adapt and change. So yeah. how does this like manifest itself for you? Like, how, Where does the passion come from? When I had that health scare, it made me realize that I was building that type of concept and belief system into the product, but I wasn't building it into my life. And my life was so rigid. I was I was really being run by my business versus running my business. And I started talking to other people and seeing fellow entrepreneurs and and 
people, not even entrepreneurs, even just like digital leaders and other people in the digital space, just so stressed out and always, you know, so high pace, everything's so fast. And it made me realize that the, the strongest attribute of a human in this space these days is their ability to adapt, their ability to adjust to the new things that are coming because things are coming so fast. And as I started to dive more into this and look at this, I realized that my stresses and my different things in my business was because every time we had to pivot or change, there was a whole new stress and a whole new array of new things. And as I started talking to some people, they were telling me about little things they had done to adapt and change. And, you know, it really resonated with me. It's the way the world's going. And I really feel it's the biggest skill and the most important thing, not only for success, which is obviously what a lot of people want to get, but also for balance. Um, mm -hmm. If you can't adjust, if you can't adapt, you're going to be stressed out all the time. Um, and there's so many techniques and there's so many things coming in this world from the health side as well that help us adapt and help us cope with these things. And it needs to be more aware and it needs to be more upfront because we can't be a society of people moving forward in, in an ever increasing speed uh, and not deal with the stress and deal with the capabilities to make ourselves be able to handle it. Starting with some learnings and some takeaways, and I'll try and bucket them to get a little bit more uh, focused. So in terms of challenges that individuals were facing and then overcame them with this sort of a unique ability to adapt, um, were there patterns that you saw? The first thing is like a mindset. Um, they, they, they had a mindset um, that they knew that they needed to change or adjust things and they worked on that. Um, so it's that mindset of accepting the fact that, you know, things are happening really fast. I realize that I see that if I don't do it and follow up and change and adjust, um, I will fall behind. And that that mindset um, and, and accepting that mindset and, and that way of being. And then the next thing is actually doing something about it. And and the first thing, most of the people, when they did do something that was very transformational or very adapting, very, very agile, most of the time they were in a very healthy state they were in a a and this is some of the problem that we all have is that we're so caught up in it already we're already not in that healthy state and and that healthy state is a focused mind a physically able body um, you, you have to be physically able to uh, and and performing at a high level health wise to actually do a lot of this stuff mm. and um i know a lot of entrepreneurs that work out and they do all these things physically, um, but they forget about their mind habits on your and patterns that you, you do. So that would be the second thing is that, you know, a lot of these people that are very successful in certain areas, they're relentless at doing a habit or a pattern. And this is a whole new thing that I'm really on. Uh, a lot of things I learned about this over over the three months on the road and continuing my conversations as, as we continue the podcast. Um, there's a lot of people that are building in these habits of success. I would like to call them, um, you know, their habits that do religiously and, you know, you're not going to wake up overnight, make a decision, be successful uh, or be happy or be anything. You know, it's it's it takes work and it takes repetitive work. Um, you know, I know Dan DePani talks about willpower and the concentration of the mind. And, and I just love his talk around the fact that you need to control your willpower and be, have the will to do something. And that really is your habit. You know, if you're constantly the same habit, you will eventually get the result. Um, you can't just say I'm shooting for this result and hopefully it gets there. But it's you need the to build up the muscle, there. right? Like anything yes, else. Yes, exactly. Like willpower just doesn't 
like you can't just this is why diets don't work i'm just i'm gonna show diets for a hundred percent like you're not just gonna wake up tomorrow and say i'm not gonna eat any more sugar and yeah. it's not sustainable like you, your willpower just won't get you there but yeah. if you want to yeah. stick a stake in the ground and say i'm i'm going my goal is to to eliminate sugar and just have that as sort of your your hag and work toward it you gotta sort of like work up to it yeah uh, in order for it to be sustainable long term yeah. But the but the great thing and the lucky thing for everyone listening is the fact that willpower is like a muscle. Habits are like a muscle. The more you do them, the stronger and easier they get. Well, um, so, so it's so it's huge, you know, so so you get the snowball effect. And this is a lot of my vision of how I want to um, kick off this whole belief system and is this whole new revolution in people. I, I want people to realize that, you know, start with small habits, start with these small things that improve your life and make you more flexible, make you more agile. And it gets easier and easier. What about on the business side? What patterns are you seeing there? You know, it, it's very similar. It models a similar idea because, you know, every business is run by people. Um, so, you know, the businesses that are able to adapt um, and, and and adjust and, and shift um, the quickest are the ones where the people are taking care of themselves in those ways. But they're also the ones that are the closest to their community, their, uh, sorry, to their customer base. Um, and building a community and learning from them and connecting with them and understanding, you know, where is the world going? Oh, okay, it's going this way. Let's change and pivot and shift, right? So, you know, the businesses that can change and shift um, are are really doing well. And, and that's why I think you're seeing a big, uh, this has probably been going on for 10 years, but, uh, you know, a big shift from the big, huge businesses to these smaller businesses. You know, it's much easier to create a business these days. Small teams are doing amazing things that only big companies used to be able to do um, because they're more agile. They're more flexible. They can be quicker. You know, the statistics are there to support what you're saying, John. I mean, 52% of Fortune 500 companies have disappeared in the last 15 years. Yep. Um, A number of big names have uh, gone bankrupt, you know, very recently. In the last few minutes, what do you want to point listeners to uh, first with respect to your company, Agility? Uh, and the CMS stuff. And then of course, next, uh, for those that are interested in learning more about the agile stuff that you're working on. Yeah, for sure. Well, you can definitely check out our website at agilitycms.com and uh, reach out to us there if you have any questions or want to learn anything more about our product offering and and what solutions we've helped customers solve. Um, And then um, for the for the podcast, it's called Agile Living and Entrepreneur's Journey. Um, so any of the main podcast uh, stations, uh, you can you can search up Agile Living and we should pop up. Um, it's also uh, a page on our website for the agilitycms.com slash agile living. And and from there, I talk about uh, this whole community we're building, too. So you can type in the agile community on Facebook and we're starting to build a community of people and building content around that and trying to see how we can really make a movement in terms of helping people adapt and be more adjustable and flexible for this for this crazy world that's you know already here and and not slowing down. This has been a very interesting chat. Really appreciate the candor uh, with respect to your partnership stuff, also the health stuff. Uh, I know it's not always easy to talk about that. Um, yeah. so really appreciate you doing it. Thank you so much for taking the time, man. No, thanks. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening and being a part of E2. E2 is brought to listeners in part by Scriberbase, building subscription businesses for retail brands. Visit Scriberbase.com for more info. Indochino, made to measure suits and shirts at a great price. More at Indochino.com. And WeWork. WeWork is a global network of workspaces where people and companies grow together. WeWork, where businesses thrive. More at WeWork.com.
Your positive support means a lot to us. So if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your audio. Until next time, make today count with whatever it is you're working on. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Cast. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's no, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.